I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our featured poet today is Michael Zarnicki from upstate New York. He lives in a place called Wheeler Hill in a house that's off the grid with a lovely pond and blueberry patch. He makes his living with poetry. That's pretty rare. He publishes with Foothills Publishing, which he's been doing for about 30 years, and has published hundreds of books under that imprint. He writes his own poetry. He travels around the country giving workshops and readings. glad you could be here, Michael, so we can talk about some things that maybe people don't know about you and maybe I don't know about you. Well, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. But yeah, good to be here, Charlie. It's uh, wonderful to be here at, uh, in the new studios in beautiful Bennington, Vermont. I think uh, yes, that's beautiful. perfect. Yeah. With your nature orientation, I think it's kind of perfect that you're the first poet to be recorded here. So before we went on the air here, uh, we were chatting and I suggested that we look into some of your background influences that I actually didn't know much about and, and it's pretty interesting you mentioned it because this afternoon we went to Robert Frost's grave here in beautiful Bennington, Vermont and uh, you were talking about the fact that he was a really major early influence on you. So yeah. Yeah he definitely was. I mean, he was the first poet to influence me and I started writing back in 1967 high school junior year Mr. Kerr Really, you know, I'm indebted to him. You know, I'm a poet because of him, I think. But uh, the first poet I really, really got into is Robert Frost. And back in the early days, I, um, I quit college and did a lot of hitchhiking. Left Buffalo, where I grew up, and hitchhiked through New England and up into the Maritimes. And I always uh, traveled with Robert Frost. Had his little uh, selected poems, uh, paperback, you know, with me all the time. And um, yeah, he, you know, I liked it, you know, obviously liked his poetry, you know, I enjoyed it when we, you know, read his work in high school. And, you know, one of the things that, that worked for me too, and attracted me to his work is, uh, you know, I was a city boy, and now I was hitchhiking through Bennington, Vermont, and places like this, out in the country, camping, backpacking. And Robert Frost's poetry spoke a lot about that country living you know, about nature, about living in the country. Uh, and that really drew me because I was really thinking through those hitchhiking years that, you know, I don't know that I need to live in the city. You know, it's, uh, maybe I could live in the country. Maybe I could uh, have a different kind of a lifestyle than what I was raised in. And so Frost spoke to me, you know, for a number of reasons like that. So lifestyle as well as poetry. Oh yeah, definitely both. They both spoke to me that way. And uh, both parts of that. and. And I know I wrote poetry, um, you know, we tend to write like the poets we like in the beginning, our influences, and uh, I wrote a fair amount of rhyming poetry, nature rhyming poetry back then. I don't have any of them, you know, as you know, we had a house fire a few years ago and I lost everything, but uh, I know when I was collecting poems for uh, some selected works of 40 years of writing. I didn't include any of those rhyming poems from way back, you know. But, uh, you know, that, that he, he was an influence, yeah, definitely. So do you have some, some poem that's, that fits with what you're saying here that's not an old rhyming poem, but just something that 
you feel like is a connection to Frost or a connection yeah, to, yeah. Uh, not exactly I mean it's I mean a lot of my poems as you know uh, mm -hmm. the natural world is a big part of my uh, muse to you know putting it yeah. that way and so I think you know a, a lot of my work you know reflects a lot of nature which yeah. uh, but I can't say there's any specific poem that relates mm -hmm. to Frost. Like I said, those early rhyming nature poems, yeah. you know. Uh, she travels in beauty, a sight to behold, the wonder of springtime. Flowers around her, beauty surrounds her. It's a wonder that she's mine. It's in my right. head, Charlie. That goes All way right. back. That, 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 <laughs> that goes back um, probably 1968. Wow. Still in my head. It goes on. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. But, you know, that right. rhyming poem, there's springtime, there's flowers, you know. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, the, 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 that was the Frost influence mm. for sure. You, sure. you said you were kind of a shy guy back then too. People might find that hard to believe who know you. Um, um, was, I was. Yeah. I mean, I was. I, I was quiet and shy. I didn't really know how to connect easily with people, with strangers, and that. Um, and the hitchhiking helped a little bit with that, you know, because when you're hitchhiking, and I hitchhiked off and on over three years, thirty thousand miles, and. You know, I always went to the east instead of the west. Everyone was going out to California and Colorado, so I went to New England and the Maritimes every year. And, you know, when you get in a car, and you're in a car with someone who's giving you a ride for a half hour, hour, you know, you need to talk. <laughs> you need to converse a little bit, and that helped. But, yeah, I, and, you know, and I didn't share poetry for a long time. Uh, it, po poetry for me, like I said, I started in high school, but... It was a very private event for years. You know, I had notebooks full of poems, but I rarely shared them with anybody. I could never go public with my poetry. I mean, that took me 18 years from writing the first poem to ever sharing a poem in public. Yeah, it was just, and you know, I finally wrote a poem that I knew I had to speak. Mm. And that's what got me you know, started on the oral tradition part of poetry. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I was I was quiet and shy, private. Uh, you know, every once in a while, I read some poems to dear friend or you know a woman that I liked or something but you know that was about it yeah yeah you mentioned the power of, of uh, Jeffers for seduction to me a little <laughs> earlier today <laughs> yeah that, uh, you know I, I don't know if anyone ever thought that about Jeffers and the power of seduction but that woman I was reading his poems to on the couch there that night yeah I, um, yeah something changed that night <laughs> thanks to Robinson Jeffers yeah and how do you connect with him? He's another important... Actually, why don't you read a poem, and then we'll talk about Jeffers. Okay. Well, Any old poem you feel like reading, that old poem. And this is... Yeah, this, you know, we we're going to mention Jeffers, but th this is a poem that goes back to uh, uh, the 80s. No, the 70s. This would have been in the 70s. And, and actually, there's a little influence of Gary Snyder here, too, which we'll talk yeah. about, you know. It's called Hunter. Dear Know the Secret... And I, pretending to know, stand with bow in hand, waiting a gift, offered. Then, before dusk, a head in the brush, a gray fox, small, slender, sleek, trotting to his place, searching for his gift, passes with barely a trace of a glance in my direction. He, too, knows the secret, the real hunter, and I only pretending to be. Mm. 
And it's interesting, that poem, it was, you know, when yeah, I was in the mid-70s and I was living, I left the city finally after the hitchhiking years. I did move out to the country and I've been a country person ever since. But I used to hunt back then and archery hunt. And I was very much also at that time period uh, really delving into Native American uh, things. And, and there's a little bit of that influence there in that poem. And, uh, you know, it's like, I'm hunting, but I'm a really a hunter, you know, it's like, you know, right. that, you know, it's, yeah, so, yeah, that was a poem back, yeah, that was 77, I remember writing that poem, 1977. Wow. And yeah. do, you, do you feel like you've sort of been on a, a fairly direct path? Because the, the connection to nature is really powerful and getting out of the city is really powerful, so I know that's yeah. still a big part of you. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting that, that yeah. I think from starting with the hitchhiking years and then moving to the country. Yeah, that that was forty you know forty years ago, and you know I, I've pretty much followed that path ever since. Yeah. And and poetically, I mean, we were starting to talk about Jeffers. You know, Frost. Yeah. Uh, his poetry really connected me a lot with living in the country and nature, you know, country ways in that. Mm -hmm. Jeffers, uh, Robinson Jeffers, who I think I discovered just from browsing the public library shelves in you know, the main library in Buffalo, um, he, he, there was a strong nature component with his work, but it was in a, I'd like to say maybe even a little darker way than Frost. You know, he had a, Jeffers had a philosophy of inhumanism and he felt that people were too, you know, civilization, we were too human-centered, too human ego-oriented, and we needed to break away from that. And for him, that breaking away was focusing on nature, focusing on, you know, like he lived in Carmel and focusing on the ocean, and yeah. hawk and rock, you know, were big images for him. And that spoke to me in a way that Frost didn't. And, and Jeffers was a bit political, you know. I mean, he, yeah. you know, he turned. He was immensely popular in the 20s and 30s, and then he really didn't support the war, Second World War. You know, he was uh, a neutral observer, and yeah, that didn't go over too well, you know. Uh, and and his work spoke to me because he really spoke, criticized, you know, patriotism and, and civilization and really turned very much to nature. You know, like some of his lines, I'd, I'd rather be a worm and a wild apple than the son of man, you know, or I'd rather accept the penalties, shoot a man than a hawk. And, uh, you know, powerful, strong yeah. stuff, you know. But there was a little bit of that, you know, that, that dark side to, to his work. Uh, and for me, the, the, and the, Jeffers, at the time I got into Jeffers and for a few years there, I was leaving the city, you know, I was moving to the country. We had a little community in the hills. A number of us bought some land together and we were going to establish, you know, this community. And, you know, two years later, yeah. it wasn't there anymore, you know, but, you know, that's, you know, we, we were out there trying that. And we, you know, at that time period, the mid-70s, I mean, we felt that, you know, civilization maybe was going to be falling apart, you know, and the cities were not the place to be. And, and you know, Jeffers' work spoke spoke to that quite a bit. Yeah. So that, that's what really, you know, drew me to Jeffers. Yeah. And powerful imagery in his work. Yeah. Yeah. And I, 
These days, you don't write a lot of political poems, do you? I don't no. think so. No, no not yeah. really. You know, there may be one or two that sneak in here and there, but no, mm -hmm. no. I, and, that, and that's interesting, just you asking that, too, because I, you know, I was quite active politically opposing, you know, Vietnam, you know, mm -hmm. all the wars that have come around since then. Um, yeah. And somewhere in the, in the mid-90s, I decided that, you know, maybe the work I do as a poet, maybe the work I do traveling around the country and giving readings and workshops and sharing what I'm writing, you know, maybe that's more important than spending hours opposing a war that we never end up stopping. I think that's important work. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was like, you know, maybe the other work, the real work that I do as a poet is maybe more meaningful. Yeah. And certainly time-wise, you know, at that certain point in the mid-90s, I really shifted to really, I mean, that's when I quit doing other work, just to be a poet, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, I've been ever since, you know, it's been 23, 23 years or so, that uh, it, it just seemed like, no, this is where I need to focus my energy, my time. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's been a few political poems here and there, but that's not really been the emphasis anymore. Yeah. How about a how about a, how about a typical Zarnicky poem? <laughs> well, how, how, are there any? <laughs> well, well, let's do let's do a short political one, okay? Uh -oh. Political talk. The words of politicians are like the glint of the sun on the wings of a crow. Yeah, I, that's that's political. Yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah, you know, absolutely. And that was quite a while ago too. Uh, but um, yeah, I could I could read another poem uh, here. Uh, well, before I do, let, let, let's can we just go into the, that that continuity, you know, sort sure. of that same path, and and, and 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 I mentioned Snyder earlier. Right. We yeah. Were talking yeah. And let me let me if I could just yeah. because Je after Jeffers, um, I somehow you know like I mentioned earlier, I was uh, delving into Native American uh, mm -hmm. things, and and I, it must have been seventy five, maybe seventy six, but I saw a copy of Turtle Island, you know. And that grabbed me right away. And I, I wasn't familiar with Snyder. And I bought that book, and wow, it, it just, yeah. yeah, a lot of us said, wow, you know, after re reading that book. And, and that's, he spoke about, you know, a lot of the same things Jeffers did, but in a whole different way. You know, where Jeffers was really harsh and critical about civilization. And, you know, Snyder can be, you know, critical certainly too that way. But Snyder, spoke more about uh, like a lot of from personal experience i mean he was very yeah. political too but it wasn't hitch over the head politics you know right. i mean like i went into the maverick bar i mean you know that's yeah. you know somewhat you know there's a number of pieces he have like he has like that but but his work um you know just attracted me for his real strong connection to nature's commitment to the environment you know yeah. his um his passion that was there, you know, and, and he was living that life too. I mean, he was back in Northern California then, he was living out in the country, living off grid, you know, and that. And and so so Snyder became a, a bigger influence than Frost or Jeffers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then of course, after Turtle Island, I picked up you know, the back country and, 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 and just really, really, um, he he became maybe too much of an influence, sort of, you know, you know how. Um, yeah. But but it was an obvious progression, though. Frost to Jeffers to Snyder, you know, 
you know, there's some connectedness with all of them, but moving in a certain direction, you yeah. know, away from the frost rhyming nature, you know, yeah. country living poetry to to uh, other than that. And Snyder, yeah, Snyder became a real big influence there, which he then also, Snyder, the other influence, he led me to the Chinese and Japanese poets. Yeah. You know, but, you know, we, we could talk about that a little which later. Which are really but, important, yeah. Yeah, but Snyder, yeah, um, yeah let, me, let me read another poem, maybe. Uh, Healing Powers. And this poem uh, was written after I had an emergency hernia surgery. This mm. goes back a ways, but there's that, again, this connection to the natural world here. Healing Powers. Three days hospital-ridden, then home couch-ridden, shuffling feet a little further every day, till finally full steps and first hike to hemlock white pine woods down the road. Tired, lying on soft bank, white pine trunk for headrest, legs stretched out till feet touched forest brook, pine needles, moist earth beneath my back frail human form, earth, water, pine, human spirit, earth spirit, healing powers. Mm. Yeah, I found about a thing called earthing recently. You go out and lie on the ground. That's it. That's it. You, you Just go out and lie on the ground. You, can, you connect with, connect with it. With, Earth with the power earth, yeah. and feeling. Well, and I thought it was a really interesting idea. You know, I've, I've done a bit of earthing over the years, I think, at times. I, I remember Yellowstone. I, the first time mm. I was in Yellowstone, 1996, on this you know, Route 20 trip I was taking across America on the longest yeah. road. Uh, and I was in Yellowstone for a day and a half. And at one point, you know, I was driving. I just wanted to get out and yeah. do some earthing. <laughs> I didn't know it was called that then. But, you know, I walked out and just walked into a field and there's the mountains around. And I just lay down on my back and just laid there. Took my glasses yeah. off and just like, and as I was laying there, it was so wonderful, as I was laying there, I heard my first elk call, the bugling of an yeah. elk echoing from somewhere out there. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. It's just, you know, so everything does wonderful things, I guess. Yeah. 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 I do that often, you know, the everything. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not as often as I should, too. You know, even though I live in the country, sometimes, you know, sometimes I don't even spend as much time as I feel I should outdoors. You know, you get caught up in all these things you have to do in that. And, uh, well, you said that part of your travels is uh, poetry. And nature and people, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. A, tri a trilogy a triangle, of yeah. triangles. Well, there's a triangle that's my foundation. I realized this a few decades ago. And it's a fluid triangle that, you know, the sides shift in length, you know, some are sometimes right. short, sometimes long. I aim for equilateral, but that three sides of that triangle, that's my foundation. One side is creativity, which for me is words. Yeah. I can't draw, can't sing, you know, never played an instrument. Um, so for me, it's words. Creativity is one side. Second side is the natural world, and the third side is relationships, people. And yeah, those are three aspects of my life that I really try to keep in mind and try to have them balanced. 
and often you know one side will tend to be short sometimes mm -hmm. even though I do the work I do when I'm home maybe I hermit too much I don't get out you know uh, uh, sometimes um, you know I just I'm not outdoors enough even though I live well you've been on yeah. Wheeler Hill you know how beautiful it is but you know sometimes you just forget to go out you get so busy you know so uh, so I, I try to balance all of that out the biggest side for me lately though and this is ever really since I took you know, three years ago. I did the 48 state tour, right. uh, where I spent 14 weeks on the road and gave a reading in each of the 48 states. And on that trip, I really tried to aim for equilateral, keep that all in balance. And then when I came back, and I also tried to be present in the moment, and, and mm -hmm. you know, don't think about yesterday, don't think about tomorrow, just be in the moment. And, and I succeeded quite well at that. I was surprised. When I came home and, you know, the trip ended in mid-November, and as I it was home, I'm usually mostly home for winter. I don't go on the road in winter usually. But I reflected on that journey, and I realized maybe the most important part of that triangle was the people, the relationships. Mm -hmm. And so that really, I, I've been emphasizing that much more in my life now in the last three years, connecting with, like on that trip, I connected with a couple of friends I hadn't seen for about mm -hmm. three decades, you know. Uh, I made new friends, like, yeah. you know, I've been back to Angola, Indiana, and Winchester, well, Virginia, like five times since then. In your you know? in your spontaneous poems that you write and post on Facebook, a poem a day, yeah. often the poem is about, like, what we do, sitting up late at night talking about poetry and, and yeah. just you know, being together. Yeah, yeah. And and that's, uh, yeah, that, those, those spontaneous poems you mentioned, yeah, that's something I do on Facebook. Uh, Every day I will write a poem just in the moment, no revision, editing, anything, just as it comes out. You know, who was it first thought, best thought? Ginsburg? Uh, <laughs> yeah, a little chuckle there, because I always attributed that to Kerouac, and I learned that that was wrong. It was Ginsburg. Could have been Kerouac, though, too. Sure. He agreed with that, certainly, you know, certainly. But, um, well, you yeah. Did, you did a book of some of the spontaneous poems, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, Want to read a couple of those? Sure. That Wild Voices Come When They Will. And some yeah. of the, yes, these are some of the spontaneous poems. I'm, um, I think yesterday was number 601 or maybe 602. Wow. So, and, it's, and what's interesting to me is that's become um, like a, a daily practice. Hmm. You know, it's, it's, I've never done anything. <laughs> As a you know, in my life as a daily practice, it seems. But the spontaneous poem is something that I really, uh, um, yeah, it's just I'm six hundred something. The other thing also I do on Facebook is post a daily photograph, and I'm up to over eleven 1 hundred days of those. So, um, okay, well, here's one I open to, and this has to do just with what you were talking about that the relationships, the friends, and this is. This poem, there's a person who I'm speaking about, was one of those two people on the 48 state tour that I hadn't seen mm -hmm. for 30 years. And I've been back visiting four or five times since. Nine months since visiting, words flowed as if continuing conversation started yesterday. Distance irrelevant, apartness irrelevant. What does time matter when minds connect, when hearts connect? This friendship, relevant, beyond time, beyond space. Yeah. yeah. 
that was that was number seventy five of the daily spontaneous poems. So, like I said, a little over six hundred now. Uh, yeah, a little over six hundred. Let me read another one of these too. I mentioned on the forty eight state tour about trying to be present. You know, trying to be in the moment. And a number of my poems, the spontaneous ones, tend to relate to that. And here's one. This moment. Moonshine. Snow. Nothing else to say. No other words needed. No other words wanted. Moonshine. Snow. This moment. It's amazing how simple things can really be evocative. I mean, just the two words, moonshine, snow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't need any more. You know? yeah. The shortest poem I ever wrote was a spontaneous poem, too. And uh, it's in the book also. I can recite this one. <laughs> this moment, nothing else. Yep. Yeah. It's not the shortest <laughs> poem I know of, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly the shortest I've ever written. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I've been really enjoying doing the spontaneous poems. Like I said, it's really become like a daily practice for me. And... Um, and again, I don't rewrite at all. Yeah. This is as they come out. Usually it's late at night. You know, sometimes it's like 12.30 or 1 o'clock. And it's like, oh, yes, write it, Michael. <laughs> you know? And so I, 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 once in a while I'll miss the Daly's poem, but rarely, yeah. you know. And, yeah. and I find it's, it's um, like I said, I, I look forward to it, you know, most of the time. No, so. no, what, what's the relationship to... Of you to going back and, and looking at them or rereading them or do you do that like you took you remember I took a trip in February I think I'll read the poems from that trip I mean to yourself you know just to yeah. see what you said like looking over a journal yeah yeah I do that I mean I look back and, and see, but the the um, spontaneous poems what's interesting sometimes you know because I write it put it out there on Facebook I, I send to seven different people who aren't on Facebook, asked to you know get them an email, so I'll send mm -hmm. the email out, and that's it. I'm done with it. Yeah. Sometimes the next morning, gee, what was it I wrote last night? You know, because it wasn't anything I worked on. It wasn't anything that I put time and energy. It just came out in the yeah. moment. And um, and when I put together the book, and and I think I don't know what the last poem in the Wild Voices come when they will. It was spontaneous poems. The last one was number two hundred twenty. The 220th mm -hmm. poem I had written, uh, you know. Again, now I'm you know 380 beyond that. Yeah. Plus, um, when I first was writing these, and I was just doing them, it was an idea that came to me, and just do it in the moment and, and put it out. They didn't have any thoughts what I was yeah. going to do with them or anything, other than posting them. And then after a little while, I thought, you know, maybe you know, boy, some of these are pretty good, you know. Not all of them, of course. No, you know. not that. Yeah, when you do it like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I thought, well, I thought maybe at some point I'll go through and, you know, gather the ones that I think are pretty decent and rewrite them, work on them, yeah. give them titles even because they're just numbered. And so I was sort of, I had that in mind. And a good friend of mine, Sue Spencer, uh, percussionist, we do some work together yeah. um, with an all one song performance. She said, Michael, you should leave them just the way they are, just the way you wrote them, you know. I said, well, I don't know, you know, it's like, I mean, they should be revised, you know. She said, well, this is how you wrote them. If you, you know, and I thought about that. I said, yeah. I, so 
these poems weren't even revised for the book. This is just how they came out, you know. And and, and I like that. I like that. You know, I'm, I'm writing other poems all the time yeah, that, sure. are, that are revised, that are rewritten, you know, that I work, work on, on. That yeah, I work right. on, yeah. Uh, so, you know, this isn't all I write, but I really like this process of, of, of doing that. Yeah. It just, I think it sharpens you a bit, you know, where every day you push. So, I mentioned earlier somebody told me that Donald Hall wrote a poem every day of his life. Yeah. I don't think they were necessarily spontaneous poems, you know. <laughs> I doubt but, it. But he wrote a poem every day of his life, I guess, oh. you know. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So, 600, that's nothing. Yeah, a couple of years, big deal. <laughs> well, you know, well, we talked about you know our connection to the Chinese poets and that, but I think wasn't it Yang Wan Li, who um, I think he had written about three thousand poems or so, and then finally he wrote this one poem that was different than all the rest of them, and it was a poem that came from him, you know, mm. and he threw out those first three thousand poems, you know, and I think he wrote another five thousand in his life, something like that. Those guys really churned them out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of his quotes was, you know, learn the masters, then forget the masters. Yeah. And I think maybe when that one poem came out that he knew was different, that's when he forgot the masters. Yeah. And and, and that. So, uh, you know, there there is something to be said for um, you know, spontaneity and just letting come out what comes out, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you write a lot, too, which, you know, I do, and again, I've been writing poetry since 1967. Yeah. 50 years next year, Charlie. Whoa. It's like, yeah, whoa, you know. I mean, you, you do get, you know, just like anything, you learn to play a piano, you're not very good in the beginning, you know, or any, yeah. learn a sport, you know, after a while, if you've been doing something almost 50 years, you know, it's maybe a little easier to, to have some good things come out of that spontaneity yeah. than if I was just starting to write, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We have a, a final poem you'd like to do? Final poem? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. And it's a prose poem, and it's an older one too, and it's uh, it's from a it's in the selected works of mine. Um, yeah. Never stop asking for poems, but originally was in a little chapbook called Drinking Wine, Chanting Poems, um, and it's a prose piece called As Autumn Approaches on Wheeler Hill, and. In this prose piece, I mention a number of the uh, Asian poets who are influential. Yeah. And the only other thing I wanted to mention, Capella, that's a star in the constellation Auriga. And I mentioned Capella, and a reference here, uh, Henry Beston, a wonderful naturalist writer who lived up in Maine. A uh, classic book, The Outermost House, he wrote. Yeah. And right. uh, he mentioned in Northern Farm, a book about, you know, from living in Maine that when he sees Capella rising over the barn in the northeast, he knows autumn is soon to follow. <laughs> so that's the reference there. As autumn approaches on Wheeler Hill, oak bench, open fire, lamplight, wine glass, poems of Yang Wan Li. Beyond flames, cool air, cold stars. Nearest neighbor out of view. Who is there to share this moment with me? Yang Wan Li would pour wine, chant poems. So too, Han Shan, Dao Chen, Zhu Tung Po. A far light of a car, miles away, down in the valley, catches my eye. Distant, distant the dust of the world. Distant, distant the poets whose hearts are like mine. Capella rises in the northeast, autumn soon to follow. A great horned owl calls out beyond western woods. What a poem that is. 
heaven my blanket, earth my pillow. The words of Yang Wan Li reverberate as I gaze up at late summer constellations, think of the coming season. Dao retired at age 40, grew rice and vegetables, wrote poems, drank wine. Han Shan lived in a cave at Cold Mountain, writing poems on walls. Zhu Tang Po in exile, the poet of the Eastern Slope. From where we'll soon build our house, I gaze at endless rows of hills. Staying put, traveling far, what difference does it make? Basho walked the back roads of Japan writing prose and haiku. I think of the granite coast of Maine. Who is it will walk there with me, writing poems, sipping wine as we go? A gust of wind kicks up from the west. A few leaves tumble near fire. I blow out lamp, close book, walk off to bed. That was a wonderful concluding poem. And you mentioned so many of my favorite poets along the way. <laughs> yes. Well, this was a pleasure, Charlie. Yeah. A pleasure in Bennington. Glad you could do it. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and you've been listening to Michael Zarnicki Poetry Spoken Here. Michael Zarnicki, and you're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. You know, we're always looking for ways to support literary poetic organizations, and we recently came across an easy way to do just that. Our relocation from Illinois to Bennington, Vermont, getting set up in the new house, has led to the purchase of numerous household items. For some of these items, we turned to Amazon for its wide choice of products and quick delivery. I know some people don't like Amazon, and I certainly share concerns for the condition and survival of independent bookstores. But I'm talking about purchases of non-literary items, such as a whistling tea kettle or a roll of shelf-lining paper. Along the way to these purchases, I discovered a program that automatically donates a portion of the purchase price of what you buy to the 501c3 organization of your choice. It's called Amazon Smile. To participate, when you want to shop Amazon, instead of going to Amazon.com, you go to smile.amazon.com. Then you select the 501c3 you would like to benefit. After that, the shopping experience is exactly as it always is on Amazon.com, with the exception that items are noted if they are eligible for the donation program. At a cursory look around, it appears to me that most items are. When you buy something, one half of 1% of the purchase price goes to your designated organization. I realize that's only 50 cents for $100 and doesn't sound like much. But it's, it's better than nothing, and with the internet, when thousands and thousands of people participate, well, it does add up, and it doesn't cost you a penny. I looked for a few literary organizations to target my donation. I noted they were not on the Amazon list. So for now, I'm contributing to an organization that works with domestic violence and women's issues here in Bennington. If your favorite 501c3 is not among those on the list you can ask the organization to sign up to get included. They do that by going to 
org.amazon.com. As you'd expect, the fact page about the program is straightforward and clear and will answer any basic questions you might have, such as, can I change the organization I donate to? The answer is absolutely, yes, you can change it anytime. And in case you're wondering, the donation is not, not tax deductible for you. You're simply buying products that result in a donation from the Amazon Smile Foundation to the organization of your choice. Still, it seems like a pretty good deal to me. I'm Charlie Rossiter. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. Over the last year, we've interviewed and heard poetry from an array of poets from the U.S. and around the world and presented features focused on projects and organizations such as the Performance Poetry Preservation Project, Split This Rock, and The Book Thing in Baltimore, Maryland, as well as book reviews of new releases by poets such as Maria Masiati-Gillen, Ted Kuzer, Gary Snyder, and Lawrence Ferlinghetti. You can read additional poetry features on our blog by going to our website. If you don't already follow Poetry Spoken Here, we urge you to sign on at the iTunes store so you don't miss a single upcoming episode. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter-Mondi. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetryspokenhere. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetryspokenhere. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.